You're listening to the Unsung Podcast, where we talk about classic albums and decide if they deserve that distinction. And we also talk about some unsung classics in the hopes of bringing them to a new audience. And at the end of it all, we let you decide if we are right or wrong. This is the Unsung Podcast. Listening to episode 35 of the Unsung Podcast. On last week's episode, we spoke about Whatever You Love, You Are by Dirty Three, and the public have decided that that record does indeed make it into our discography. So, thank you very much to everybody who listened and to all of those who voted. We really appreciate it. On this episode, we are talking about the very first Iron Maiden record titled Iron Maiden. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Unsung Podcast, I'm your host Mark Fraser and I'm joined by two men who are wearing tighter spandex than Dave Murray. Oh, I can see the outline of your guitar. <laughs> and to my left is David Weaver who is positively pitching a spandex tent at the prospect of talking about Iron Maiden for what will probably feel like an eternity. And to my right is Mr Chris Cusack who is the most miserable man in Glasgow for the last week because he's had to, had to listen to Iron Maiden for a week. And for listen to their week. entire discography. Yeah, actually, a member of my family died last week, and this was the worst part of my week. <laughs> <laughs> That's <was> pretty harsh. <laughs> it's funny because it's true as well, right? Uh, so edgy, unsung podcast, edgy, edgy as fuck. Eighteen and over. You're going to get as Alex Jones from from iTunes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Jones get kicked off YouPorn. How fucking crap do you have to be to kicked off YouPorn? And Twitter, everything is amazing. <laughs> He's not kicked off Twitter. Yeah, you get banned from Twitter today. Oh, today? Today, yeah. really? Fresh. <laughs> Excellent work. They said that he had contravened the rules seven times, two of which, five of which happened before they changed the rules, and two of which was definitely enough to, to ban him going forward, and then just went ahead and did it today. His entire show is based on the premise of contravening the rules. Yeah. The good ones and the bad ones. Oh, he's a fucking roaster, man. So, speaking of roasters, what are we doing this week? Uh, we're doing Iron Maiden. Iron Maiden, their debut album from 1980, released on EMI. Let's, get, let's fucking talk about why this is the album you picked Because I, I really want to know Let's 
Because right, why the fuck are we talking about Iron Maiden? Because <laughs> it's, it's fucking. We have to talk about Iron Maiden at one point. Why? Because they're fucking Iron Maiden. They are their own genre. This is the unsung podcast. Yeah, this no, is but the, this I, is unless like, you're going to pick Select Eleven or whatever it is, then why the fuck? Are absolutely. <laughs> so Iron Maiden have never been the biggest selling of of album, of bands compared to hundred like, million records, mate. No, but they're no, up there with the Pesh Mode, and we never talk about OEM yeah, in it. <laughs> They haven't sold, you know, people always talk about Virtual 11 Iron Maiden so. are very influential. Yes. And for better and worse. You're absolutely Huge right. Life. They are why I don't own many metal albums. <laughs> um, the fact is that most people that are into metal are in Iron Maiden. And Iron Maiden are their own little sort of genre. And the things you think of when you get Iron Maiden, I think there's like sort of three things, three main things. There's the galloping bass guitar. There's the dueling harmonic guitars, and then there's Bruce Dickinson going, <laughs> uh, uh, but that last one uh, only came into existence after uh, their third album. Yeah, so uh, I think we're going to hit a wee kind of bump here anyway, because... I was like, I know fuck all about Iron Maiden. I need to, I need to somehow contribute. Yes, we're talking about this because you know fuck all about Iron Maiden. Useful with this discussion. So I consulted with the man Rick Bruce, Richard Bruce. Yeah, that we've mentioned before. Richard Bruce is the authority on the Maiden, and uh. he was like, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd like to quote for you because <laughs> uh, I thought it was illustrative of a number of things. Let's hear it then. Considering that the song Iron Maiden gets played at every gig and is pretty much a high point, Running Free also gets played a fair bit, and if they were to suddenly play anything else of the album in a live situation, the crowd would pretty much go tits, as seen by recent appearances of Phantom of the Opera. I would disagree with this choice. Your 91 to 99 era albums are the less talked about, and maybe a couple of the newer Bruce albums mid-2000s. They're less talked about because they're many, fucking shit. For many people, the first two are unimpeachable. Everything that followed is not. Fundamentally, Dave is talking balls and you should leave them. <laughs> Oh, for he is a false. <laughs> no, there I will is say. absolute <laughs> <laughs> The pinnacle of Iron Maiden's career commercially the and their sound the is Number of the Beast, it's Peace of Mind and it's Power Slave. Power Slave, which I'm gonna go out there and say is maybe objectively their best record. Really? Seventh son for me, man, because it's got See, the, exactly. it's got, it's got the keys own, on it and it sounds fucking mad. Everybody has their own favourite record. If you're an Iron Maiden fan, you have your own favourite Iron Maiden record. This is my favourite Iron Maiden record. I'd like to contend with the claim that everyone has their own favourite Iron Maiden record. <laughs> uh, well, okay, this album only sold 2.8 million records. Only. Killers yeah. only sold 4 million records. Number of the Beast sold 14.2 million. How much did the first Foo Fighters record sell? <laughs> Hang on, I've got my stats here, mate. I'm trying to sound like I can do something this episode. Power Slave, 4.5 million. Peace of Mind, 5 million Fear of the Dark oh my god even just saying it um, three and a half million that's a rancid record as well that's fucking so bad that album uh, whereas Virtual Eleven seven hundred thousand 
Dance of Death, uh, a sorry 1.5 million, Brave New World, uh, only 2 million despite Big Bruce's back. Ah, well, Big Bruce is back after the band were in the wilderness for like five, six years. Wait, what's his face? Please Bailey. Please Bailey. Bailey. Who's, yeah, so try to go grunge, but not really. <laughs> yeah, terrible. The, the fact is that their 90s output is fucking awful. Uh, the last few records since, well, they've actually been back together for 19 years. But, you know, like, those records are hit or miss. There's a couple of really good ones. Uh, Book of Souls is all right. A Matter of Life and Death is pretty decent. Okay, and Brave New World is actually probably the best one. Like they came back to that because it was like, to be honest, it was the one that sounded most like this because it was the most straightforward. It had three and a half minute songs. The thing that people always mention when they talk about this record, and that's why I like it most, is because it's it's punky. It's got this punk edge to it. Is it fuck? It fucking is. <laughs> listen to <laughs> listen to Prowler. Listen to uh, I mean, I. Uh, Charlotte, look, look at the fucking lines of my face. I listen to those songs. Right? <laughs> right. I used to be quite youthful for my age until this week. <laughs> These songs were written in East London in 1978, 1979, amongst punks. Yeah, I mean, but, like, but they, wait, they were they were like, <coughs> like playing pubs with you know punk bands. Yeah, they've got this punk. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's not conflate two fucking very distinct movements, right? The new wave of British heavy metal, right? Maiden were seven, formed in 75, and by the way, it's no fucking coincidence they're named after a torture device. Yeah, but they were but, like a pub um, band for a couple of years. They didn't have anybody, you know... They, they weren't were, a fucking punk band. Pub band. They were a pub band. <laughs> right, they were a pub band. They still sound like a pub band. No, but, pub bands now sound like them. That's what I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> Same thing. But no, I mean, the new wave of British heavy metal and the punk movement happened in tandem, but they were very distinct. No, I know, but you listen to this, album and killers a bit like Paul Diano's vocals are way more punk well Paul Diano Paul Diano started in a punk band called the Pedophiles yeah and so he did come from punk background but this is as metal as it gets right is from, it fuck right from the off there are, I can see arguments for both to be honest I mean their influences right from the off as well were like Deep Purple and Black Sabbath Steve Harris yeah Maiden is Steve Harris no, but on this record, Dave Murray is like pounding those chuggy riffs. Dennis Stratton's sort of a lot more into the sort of jangly bits. Big Dennis got the boot. Uh, Dennis yeah. got, um, I mean, who, so did Murray the, for a while. Talk about a band that we were talking about Dirty Three last week, you know, who were remained the Dirty Three, the, th- the same of them. The lineup changes in Iron Maiden are amazing. Yeah. I um, mean, I've got a tendency, I have noticed when I was doing the research for this, for kicking anybody out of the band who like to have fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is weird because to oh, me, Iron wait, Maiden wait, are wait fun. a minute. It's wait true, a minute. absolutely true, right? Fucking, like, Paul Dano's kicked out because he liked doing drugs, right? You are, oh my god. Paul Dano was kicked out because of repeated incidents of domestic violence. Oh, see, I didn't read about that, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't matter because anybody, anybody, anybody that was not, anybody who was not wanting to, like, basically be the touring band Steve Harris wanted to be, anybody that was into drink, drugs, anything like that was fucking booze for the band. You are shitting on Harris pretty badly here. Harris, Harris is a great songwriter and he's ha- a really, he's partly really nice guy and it's, it's, it's a shame that his daughter's band shit and his solo band's also a bit crap but um, <laughs> the fact of the matter is like he's the no fun police 
Everybody you, is you are echoing the line of Paul Diano who said that, true, like though. talking to like was it Rod fucking Rod Smallwood, Smallwood was like talking to Mussolini and Hitler, Mussolini and Hitler. <laughs> right. Steve, Steve Harris started the band kept the band going gave the band its sound along with Murray I'm, I'm not saying I'm not saying that his philosophy is wrong I'm just saying that like for a band to us and honestly being like really tongue in cheek and being like sort of a fun sounding band but they, I think they don't you, have fun no but I th- they ended up having fun I think Bruce oh, no, Dickinson yeah. has fun yeah and I mean I no I, I need to take issue with that man right, right. so Paul Diano sang on Iron Maiden the eponymous album and Killers right Paul Diano got the boot in 81 because he was neither able nor willing to perform regularly and they, they just couldn't align him and since then Paul Diano's banned from the USA because he was <laughs> caught by the cops for a number of serious uh, what's it called spousal abuse incidents of spousal abuse uh, for possession of uh, large quantities of drugs and for firearms um, wow offences what a guy right banned for the fucking states so he couldn't tour with his own band or go and do some anthrax thing he got asked to do yeah he had a gruffer voice and was like a character aren't we all when we're fucking knocking shit out our girlfriends but nah man I mean I, I don't think that's a Valid criticism of Steve Harris. Why am I defending a guy that inflicted Iron Maiden on the world? Oh, for fuck's sake. But, but Paul Diano is. Paul, hang on. Paul, Paul Diano is a dog shit fucking human. Absolutely. I'm not a bad, he is totally. a real piece of shit. Plus, his name's Paul Andrews. He's not even an Italian. He just made that shit up to sound interesting. Don't for one second think that I'm A, defending Paul Diano or B, saying that Steve Harris's fucking attitude towards being a band is incorrect. <laughs> I'm just saying anybody that actually didn't toe the party line and Sounded liked to have like it. fun Sounded just fucking like was it. kicked out. That's just the way it's always been. Oh, oh, I, 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 like, I, I, hey, there's I, a happy like, medium I, here. There's a happy I medium like here. I like a lot. I, I think Steve Harris is a great songwriter. His bass playing is untouchable. I think he's a shit songwriter. And, oh, fuck. Yeah, you would say that. So I have no, I have no problem with fucking Steve Harris or Iron Maiden. I, I like the band a lot. You have no problem but, with fucking Steve Harris. Well, no, in terms of like his way he runs his op outfit, I'm just saying anybody just, that was just, kicked out of the band was done because you know they weren't torn apart of line, but which is pretty brutal. They take away messages that you have no problem fucking Steve Harris. No fucking <laughs> problem. <laughs> uh, just a, another little t- uh, bit of info as well. Uh, Paul Diano, ha ha ha, uh, Rod Smallwood <laughs> bought, bought him out when he got fired. Yeah, so he gets that, yeah. nothing for the back catalogue. Get it right up, you idiot. Well, in my, in my opinion, he's a shit vocalist, which is why I'm really confused as to why you picked this Oh record. no, I, I think he's a better vocalist than Dickinson. I really like this. I, see, so, no way, hang, on, hang on. Also, to get his own back though, Paul Diano formed a band called Killers in 1990. <laughs> right, which is coming going a wee bit right? killers for fuck's sake uh, and he got a $250,000 advance from BMG by turning up and playing nothing but Iron Maiden songs for the executives and they were so <laughs> clueless that they didn't know they were Iron Maiden songs so they gave him quarter of a million on the spot fucking hell so, but that guy is a tool but this was the first Iron Maiden album I heard and like many oh, things we talk hey, about, bless. this is why we, you know, you like what you hear first. So it's also had this unanimously critically praised. It was a massive commercial success at the time. It blew the gates open for for heavy metal. I'm just not sure it qualifies. I think yeah. it, I think it does qualify because the Iron Maiden sound isn't complete on this record. It isn't Killers. Paul Diano's voice is better on Killers. The songs are arguably better on Killers as well. It's got fucking Rathschild on it, which is you know a, a stunning song. Oh my god! Um, Fighting the Off is also pretty good, but on this record, but this like this is a band who are trying to become. Steve, Steve Harris doesn't vision. even like this like, record. He doesn't like the production. production on it. Yeah, yeah. He says it's it's muddy, but I love the production on this ancient. record. Well, I think it's better than the production on Killers. And then I think they, they became a different band when they had Bruce Dickinson. I think their foundations were built here. I think they got that galloping bass 
in on this record and they got those sort of dueling guitar harmonies in on this record but that final but they, they weren't the only ones leg so, of mean, the the Iron Maiden trident <laughs> <laughs> trident it didn't come in until <laughs> Bruce tripod uh, uh, and Number of the Beast do you not think that I, um, a lot of the vocals that especially maybe not so much on this record but on Killers are definitely definitely sound like they were run by Steve Harris because it sounds like Bruce Dickinson should be singing them yeah I feel like Killers gets a lot of praise and I do really like it but yeah you're right I feel like it's that sort of half it's not quite what they want to be and it's not quite this whereas this was just it's got that sort of punk energy to it and I know you totally disagree they, but they said that the engineer for this wasn't particularly interested in the project and so they ended up doing a lot of it themselves because he would just like yeah. fuck off and leave them to do their takes and things well, they, also, yeah. they also went through a couple of producers before actually settling on the final production team um, their second one got fired for asking Steve Harris to use a pick on his bass yeah. and I'm right behind that guy right? his, <laughs> name was, his name was Andy Scott and Andy if you're out there and you're in the pub drinking your sorrows away mate I'm on your team Basses sound shit When they're played with the fingers Right I, I actually quite fundamentally agree with that If I'm honest um, So Can we go on to the Nexus album, just now This album was completed in 13 days By the way Can we go to the Nexus Because we've mentioned producers Alright let's go for the Nexus then the, the producer on this record I have a Beast of a Nexus Okay cool. This week Have you, you got, got a beast of a Hang on track? Hang on a second Hang on a second Hit the damn music Played the drums. It's pretty good. That is a funky. Hang on, was Dave Grohl in uh, in Nirvana? 
Oh shit! It's, I've, I've, I've just why have we yeah, ever totally, thought totally, about that? He joined in guitar for Fuck a year. <laughs> totally missed uh, that. So Iron Maiden, he was the uh, <laughs> their third vocalist on a record was, as mentioned, Blaze Bailey. He mm-hmm. recorded two albums, Virtual Eleven and the other one. <laughs> <laughs> they were both fucking uh, awful. Virtual Eleven and X Factor. X Factor. Uh, wow. Imagine calling it that when it already existed as well. Terrible records. Blaze Bailey is currently in a live band that includes Jeff Singer, who is a drummer who also drums with. I don't know if you remember this band, Chris. Kill to this. Kill to this. How could I forget? Kill to this. The possibly stars, the worst the new stars metal band. of our new metal episode. <laughs> and now, Kill to this is third record. <laughs> Trinity featured Burton C Bell of Fear Factory. Uh, they covered Two Tribes by Frankie Goes to Hollywood so oh if only we could listen to that right now Let's continue. I'm only about a quarter of the way there. <laughs> uh, so Dino Cazares of Fear Factory uh, is also in Brugeria, that sort of Mexican uh, like drug pirate metal band, <laughs> also featuring Billy Gould from Faith No More. And of course, uh, Mike Patton of Faith No More is also in a band called Tomahawk. Mm-hmm. Uh, Getting closer. Also with Dwayne Dennison from The Jesus Lizard. Also with Kevin Rootmanis of uh, yep. Melvin's. Now, The Jesus Lizard, they had a track called Panic in, C- in Cicero. Did. A uh, feature on the Clerks, Clerks soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Now, Kevin Smith directed Clerks. He also directed Dogma. This is needlessly circuitous <laughs> at this point. <laughs> yeah. He directed Dogma, which, of course, starred Alanis Morissette as God. I see. Then the drummer for Alanis Morissette. <sighs> No, the f- the bassist on you all I know <laughs> oh my was God. Flea. I fucking uh, hate you, man. <laughs> uh, now, Flea played bass in the Red Hot Chili Peppers. He did? Who were produced uh, for a couple of records by Rick Rubin. Now, Rick Rubin appears in the documentary movie Sound City, produced and directed by Dave Grohl. Well done. My God, we, we swung by Dave Grohl's house about an hour ago <laughs> a number of times. No, he wasn't in, so we had to wait and now we've parked up in the drive. The producer of this record, Will, um, Will Malone, he also produced The Verve, Massive Attack and Depeche Mode. I, can't look, I totally understand why we're not going to fuck about Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so can I just touch on something, by the way? You're, hang you're, on, hang you're... on. Plays out. If we could get around it, I know that it's true. But I got that out it, put it on, never thought it's true. Well, it's you. I fell in two. I fell in two. Oh, that was brilliant. They're a genius. Second time through. Was Fucking the, genius. The um, so, that whole thing about this being a punkier record, right? Like, New Wave of British Heavy Metal did exist at the same time as the punk movement. I get that. But the New Ma- the part of the appeal of the, the heavy metal movement is, was that it was less political. It was more about... I mean, it, it happened against the backdrop of the 70s in the UK with all the poverty, the kind of Labour and Conservative governments, horrendous situations at the time. It was part of that expression of like youth frustration through mass unemployment and a lack of upward mobility and just general uh, hopelessness that existed within the country at, at that at that time. I think 
this is quite distinct for the punk movement. I think the band that came closest to bridging that gap was Motorhead, and Motorhead can't even necessarily be considered part of the new wave of British heavy metal because they, they predated it. In fact, yeah. well, Lemmy even said that they didn't really benefit from it because they, they happened too soon to really ride that wave. So I, I, I don't I don't hear the punk thing in this man. I hear a lot of like ACDC type moments. You know, you can see you can hear that stuff emerging. I hear stuff in this that I could imagine Chris Cornell singing on, like uh, on Killers as well. There's a couple of riffs in there that are quite Sabbathy, and they they show where they were taking their influences. Yeah, okay, Phantom of the Opera as well was like going into the prog territory and Harris has said that was the first time he really stretched his legs in that way. But I do think there is quite a distinction. I mean, at the time as well, obviously you had like Saxon, Def Leppard and then you had kind of lesser known bands like Diamond Head, Venom, Raven who stayed more underground. Because they were mostly shit. Yeah, but if that was the rule then surely Maiden would still be there. <laughs> Throwing shade right, left and centre. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You're saying it's a bit rougher and it's a bit raw, but it was rough and raw and it was a, a, a genre developing. Now, if I you really don't to... think it's punky at all though, man. It's pretentious. It's kind of pompous. I mean, they had about five singers before Paul Andrews joined and some of them were like spitting blood on stage and, and wearing makeup and others like I mean they, they fired their guitarist for pretending to play guitar with his teeth at one point it's like I mean that's not in the slightest bit anything even close to the punk movement which is I'm f- saying sonically I mean like, I, I just think that, that you're, you're stretching that, it, credulity there man no, I'm not <laughs> I mean okay cool but Harris is on record as well though saying that he hated punk yeah, I know, but I don't think it was down to Harris. I think uh, on this record they had sort of competing uh, elements of the songwriting mm-hmm. and Harris was into the more progier stuff. You know, like Phantom of the Opera was what he wanted. He wanted a brilliantly produced prog metal masterpiece like Phantom of the Opera. Didn't get produced that well. So what he wanted was Power Slave, basically, because mm-hmm. that's like the pinnacle of what Iron Maiden could do as a band, as a metal band, as a prog metal as a pantomime, let's be honest. Exactly, and it's fucking great fucking fun. Fucking prog metal pantomime. So good. And they're so fun, so much fun live as well. So much fun I live. I can only imagine how much fun I would have live at an Iron Maiden show. You'd, yeah, I think even you would smile at an Iron Maiden show, mate. I actually think you would. You're right. I spent <laughs> your good old flatmate Rudy Danaher and myself spent a good 50 minutes driving up the A9 on Friday night air guitaring to Iron Maiden there's really f- you should have had your hands in the wheel there are <laughs> an air guitar with one hand <laughs> uh, and I've got cruise control so it's fine <laughs> and you've got knees yeah. yeah exactly I just don't think there's any doubt that Iron Maiden are a fucking really fun band they're highly influential for uh, I'm like, not going to be so stupid as to deny that they're highly influential you know exactly Everybody from fucking Metallica to previously stated at the gates to pretty much every punk metal band. Yeah, no argument, man. Exactly. MC Hammer was highly influential as well. <laughs> was he really? I'm not really sure. If Spoken MC like Hammer a true white man. <laughs> particularly influential like, hip hop artists. Iron Maiden do do something quite astonishing as regards. They are one of the only things that can make me sympathise with Christian groups. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake! Uh, because when they released Number of the Beast, uh, they were they were picketed and ended up 
been like banned from playing shows in Chile and stuff. So can we talk about the album? Yeah, then? so this record I think is <laughs> darker. It, no, no. It's silly, but it's not too silly. It's fun, but it's still a bit weird. It hasn't gone to their sort of late 80s trying too hard to be Iron Maiden because they still haven't become Iron uh, yeah, Maiden, yeah. as it were. I think it's a total gem. I think it's better than anything from like the 90s, definitely. You know, it's just got that roar sound than, you know, the, the sort of mid 80s stuff, which is really good from a metal perspective. So, I mean, you know, like, the, you know, the track Prowler, no, obviously. Mm-hmm. Kicks off a Prowler. Kicks off a Prowler. And then so that riff has definitely been ripped off by Papa Roach. I was going to say, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that is astonishing. Do, 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 yeah. Um, that was such a fucking great riff to kick off with. It's just like so that's that song like grabs you by how, the throat. How the band got picked up in the first place with that guy Neil K. Yeah, because they have band, a really bandwagon fam- heavy metal soundhouse. Yeah, and he submit they submitted a demo of that to him. Yeah, it was like three tracks. I think yeah, it was, and then yeah, it got released on like five thousand copies, and they sold out in like a few weeks. Yeah, um, which got them signed to EMI. Yeah, so that track has a, a big big part in their history. It's interesting we were talking about this just before we started recording that Sanctuary that dog shit second song shouldn't be on this. Yeah, it wasn't yeah so on the I, original don't, I don't edition. think of Sanctuary being on it because mm-hmm. it was, it wasn't on the original UK release. Even though it was released a single. Yeah. Although it was a standalone single, yeah, it was, yeah, a, yeah. It was like a and it had the artwork on it had uh, Ed, good old Eddie, <laughs> uh, standing over the corpse of Margaret Thatcher. Oh, really? In a overtly political, nice punk uh, <laughs> image. Chris shooting fish in a fucking barrel there, weren't they? Uh, well, they got it was nineteen eighty. She just won a fucking landslide. You know, going against the grain, mate. Anyway, then uh, it comes on to. Um, uh, remember tomorrow should be tracked too because sanctuary's shit. Yeah. The all-seeing eye flickers above us to light up the such a beautiful haunting song. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is, isn't it, Chris? Uh it's, it's, it's shows the, their um, depth of emotion, ethereal, their range, uh, really dynamics, does. beautiful little. Me over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's a fucking great song, and I can tell the heavy, ri- the, like the the riff when it comes in is fucking great. I like it too. I think it would have been better if it had synth on it. Do you know that um, Iron Maiden kicked out uh, a guy called Tony Moore? Uh, he played one gig with them and Tony Moore is a member of Cutting Crew oh Hark I just died in your arms tonight when was that? Uh, that was like prior to this album I 
that's quite funny because then they started embracing since the Steve Harris played them on, on later eight stuff. Yeah, yeah but he said seventh record since didn't suit their sound, and that's yeah. why Tony got the boot. Yeah, but I mean, you've got to start experimenting after five records, so that's fine. Yeah, I know what you mean, though. It's got that it filled the, the sound up a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, I think that's a really good song. And then Running Free, that was the single off this record that got them on top of the pops. Yeah, as Rick was saying in that uh, text condemnation of, of you. Um, <laughs> running Free's like proven to be quite a, a, uh, a live we've, treat. Yeah. We've never actually chosen an album with a single off it that's been on top of the pops, have we? Yeah, it was the first. Oh, wait, it was actual bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it was the first live performance on top of the pops since 1972 when the Who played live in it. Yeah, because they were, they didn't want they didn't want to um, mime. Yeah, so for like nine years top, or eight years, not Top of the Pops had been all miming and then fair play to them. It's really on. weird they didn't actually embrace that same logic when they went on and did the Wicker Man in 2000. Yeah, I know. Which <laughs> top of the Pops with Fire too. and Ed, it was all mimed. Yeah, it was fine, no. Yeah. They were they were back, they were showing what they could do. Yeah, I remember... Visually. <laughs> <laughs> I remember being a kid and just talking about Eddie and like some, it was one of the first bits of graffiti, maybe the first bit of graffiti I ever remember between my house and my primary school, the path that I used to walk, had Iron Maiden sprayed in the lamppost and somebody had done a, an Eddie... Ed Hunter, uh, yeah. Yeah, like a, a spray paint thing and I used to find it like really like scary. Well, the artwork from this album really stuck with me as well because... So I found this cassette I was in my four. Well, yeah, I was four as well. But like that's why it stayed with me um, because I f- found this re- uh, cassette in my uncle's old uh, collection of cassettes that he, he used to live in my house. And then um, he was into, obviously, his 80s metal and hair metal and everything. It was like White Snake, Marillion, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, Def Leppard. And I think this was one that grabbed grabbed me visually as well. And then I played it in the cassette player. And I listened to fucking Iron Maiden's debut album whilst playing with Leg Lego, aged five. Nice. Um, but like visually, it totally freaked me out as well. It was it's like quite a scary image for a four year old. <laughs> I, I remember like track titles as well, like bring bring your daughter to the slaughter, and being really sort of perturbed by the the kind of that the violence of that like, I know that was part of their thrill but mm-hmm. they were fucking adults I was four or five years old but I remember that kind of getting under my skin a wee bit so first and the only number one signal, single Right. Yeah, they released that uh, I mean, in the quietest piece. So of the, bad. The, that is a horrible song. Crap song <laughs> from a crap record. Yeah, they released it right after Christmas when sales would be the lowest, and they released it in like a three or four different formats, and all of our fans bought it and it went to number one. So, yeah. Clever. Yeah, clever stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, this album's the first album to mention Charlotte the Harlot as well, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. She appears in like four different records. As a character. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, Dave Murray just showing his colours there. He's uh, 
Songwriting <laughs> song writing nose. It's a good song. It's a good song, yeah. It was kind of brought to my attention as well. It's definitely not a Steve Harris that song. Was, that was better than the actual song. Um, it, was, it was kind of brought to my attention as well that the first two records of Iron Maiden, they did talk and they did sing a little bit more about slightly more real world things and uh, like mm-hmm. slightly more street related working class things they were a working class you try to say the yeah. cheaper is not the, 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 not the, real the, the new wave of British heavy metal was a working class movement and and in fact heavy metal in general was and or at least back then and they sang about stuff that was a little bit more real what, what I think's kind of slightly absurd and certainly in hindsight it's kind of weird is when Iron Maiden started to get into their like as as did that metal movement into their ultra macho sort of fantasy sort of fantasy world, and it is, I don't think our men were particularly macho. I think the whole the heavy metal movement was quite macho, and as much as it didn't have a massive, it was largely dominated. It was almost entirely dominated by white people. It didn't have a big racism problem. It did have a homophobia problem, certainly in the early eighties, which was, was ironic because uh, you know Rob Halford was gay. It is also the gayest of all genres. As well. <laughs> <laughs> it makes disco look bitch. I mean, and, I mean, you say that right, but. Th- Phantom of the Opera is a song about fantasy, so like they did it in the first record. Yeah, uh, there are certainly hints of uh, you know, but it, it's a little bit more fantasy on this based in literature, if you know. What but I mean. yeah, and, even, to, and the album cover is like a guy, you know, Ed Eddie. He's more punk. A, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I get that. I get that. <laughs> no, he's I just on a, like, you know, he's cut on off shit like that. Yeah, yeah. No, Whereas when they got into their like fantasy. And this, it did set the tone for stuff like Megadeth as well, you know, getting Absolutely, into this yeah. like dystopian bullshit. The weird thing is, there is an overlap. If if you were to take the lyrical content of Iron Maiden and get into that really sort of Norse, quasi Lord of the Rings, past, future, dystopian fantasy bullshit, there's something, again, sorry to go back there, but there's something quite hyper-masculine and kind of alt-righty about that. There's some quite red pill about the metal scene at that time, which was, in retrospect, I mean, just in the way that it was there for men to feel like men. And it wasn't, I mean, it's, it's a very welcoming scene for women now, but I just think it's quite funny that it was so obsessed with, like, tales of, like, conquest and valour and man-o'-war and all these ultra-stupid macho mythology that, that went along with it. Yet it was also, like, quite misogynist and uh, it's, quite, it's quite a weird thing. I mean, it's hard to take it seriously. And it was very innocent then. It's sort of been... It's, it's taken a much, much more sinister tone. Yeah, as, I think as, that's as, looking at it... The more modern w- it's gotten. And ha- you know, with hindsight, you know... Oh, absolutely. I think and in, I'm not accusing... In 1985... When them they of any malicious sort of intent. Rhyme just, with the Ancient Mariner. I think they were just going, fuck it, we can write a 12-minute song about <laughs> no, Samuel totally, Coolidge. Totally. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's the 80s. They just had it, loads of cocaine and it, we're going mental. Exactly. It's naive and it's stupid. It's just interesting how that has developed in a more sinister way mm. in, in much more recent history. And it is it's quite... It's just it's quite funny. I think, well, kind of... It is a demographic yeah. as well, let's be honest. Like, lonely boys in their bedroom that fucking... They've gone from Maiden to 4chan quite comfortably, you know what I mean? They've gone from Warhammer to 4chan as well. I think it's quite interesting. Something that's quite interesting to that as well is like Iron Maiden's influence having that fantasy element. It's obviously had a huge influence in Power Metal as well, which is like the whitest of all metal. (laughs) Power Metal is basically heavy. Iron Maiden got, you know, they've just taken Iron Maiden Mm -hmm. and gone fucking yeah. gone wild with it but then the fantasy side also kind of plays into black metal as well in a lot of ways local content yeah. too so it's well I mean you look at like bands like you know Celtic Frost and mm. stuff like that would cite Iron Maiden as influences pretty much fucking anybody that anybody's played metal ever so it's, it's, you know, it's, you yeah. Know, yeah you know 
I mean, even, even if they don't like Iron Maiden, they're definitely playing Iron Maiden riffs. Yeah, <laughs> you know, pretty much. Like, I, I, like, I'm just being honest. I, I fucking hate this band, right? You're never going to get anything constructive out of me on this episode. How do they compare to Kiss? <laughs> like a band like Kiss? Well, actually, well, that's what funny, I don't understand is how you can like Kiss and not like Iron Maiden because Iron Maiden are fucking a lot better than Kiss. Oh, sure. No, they are. Iron Maiden have better, more better albums than Kiss have records. They uh, fucking tracks. That is. Uh, that is true. I mean, Iron there's Man no have... point talking about this because you're never even vaguely reasonable <sighs> it, about Kiss. Can we do a poll? Kiss. No, no, no. Can no, we no. definitely do a poll? Uh, who's better, Iron Maiden or Kiss? I think we should definitely do that at some point. But see, what I talk about now, you when when we did the Jonah interview and you said the greatest Kiss album was greatest Kiss, right? That was the best Kiss record. Now, I would actually go out and let me say that someday, not me, you could make a, a really good argument for Edward the Great being the best Iron Maiden record because it's got all the fucking absolute bangers on it. It's 18 tracks Every single one of them Is fucking brilliant And there's none From the first two records On it I mean how many How many Iron Maiden tracks Can you slip Into a fun DJ set At a push Run to the hills At a fucking push No fucking Number of the beast How be thy name The trooper Man, the that's, trooper, that's, man. That's, that's just metal That's just a metal DJ set If you throw that In uh, yeah, any Yeah I'm DJing audience. At the fucking cat house Yeah <laughs> Yeah like Kiss you can throw Into a DJ set And folk dance Like I mean I've, I've, No Let's just not go down there again But it's funny that mention them right because in between August and October 1988 Iron Maiden actually toured supporting Kiss mm-hmm. um, and it, it was like Kiss at their worst at that point they'd hit a massive dip they'd was that like, like no face paint Kiss? no no no, not yet no face paint Kiss is actually when they went platinum Crazy again man. Stuff like that, yeah. um, but no Kiss were like on this massive downturn they'd done Dynasty which is when they did like the disco stuff they'd done those four dreadful solo albums because they were just completely up their own arse and unaccountable for anything not back um, in New York Grave Chris no. and then they released Unmasked which was a turkey as well and Peter Chris ended up getting kicked out of the band at that point as well so they were touring with a replacement drummer Kiss were like struggling to really do it night after night a lot of drugs they were pretty fatigued and Iron Maiden by contrast were young and hungry and just slaying like night after night and it was just one of those tours where I think like Kiss to be fair to them were known for taking out very good bands they weren't a band that hid behind shitty supports to make them look good like they took out ACDC they took out Judas Priest uh, I think they took out Cheap Trick you know they they were they were ballsy and and they they didn't mind following a really really promising band but I believe from people who were Iron Maiden fans back then that that uh, or sorry were, were Kiss fans back then that Maiden kind of Stole the thunder a lot of nights on that on that tour, but apparently Gene Simmons was a massive Iron Maiden fan, a really big fan of the first album, mm-hmm. and he'd actually made an effort to go and be really hospitable to them. So I think as well, actually, one of the members of Maiden got a bit too friendly with Kiss, ended up touring on their bus instead of Maiden's bus, and got kicked out when he got back, or that was <laughs> part of it anyway. But um, Simmons had gone into Iron Maiden's dressing room and had said, you know, that kind of ritual of guys lovely to be touring me this isn't the first night I really really love your first album uh, your album at that point sorry I really really love your album and Paul Diano being a absolute prick had the audacity to call Gene Simmons in this in front of him like oh really you love our album alright well tell us the name of any of our songs and so Gene Simmons being Gene Simmons then rattled off the name of all the songs in track order right in front of Paul Diano's <laughs> face well. then Kiss fell apart and then they came back with the new face paint and sold millions of albums again great yeah might in the middle of hair metal yeah right. kind of like it came round to them Kiss sort of great I think it's probably it's probably no I just don't, as well. You don't get Iron Maiden. I don't make. I don't get Kiss. That's, that must be it. Yeah, that's it. It's probably no coincidence as well that Iron Maiden's peak period was also Johnny Hair Metal. Even yeah. though they have elements of that sound, they're definitely. I can, mean, it was just during the eighties when everybody yeah. was a bit more naive and just having fun and. Mm-hmm. 
people hadn't really got irony yet. Or I don't think they are particularly known though for being overly lecherous or prone to like, no, like debauched metal behaviour. They were like a pantomime band. Like they were kind yeah. of no, like, but they were what they were was they were like a just a big fucking stage show pantomime sort of. They're vibe. a merchandise band as well. They're one of the first bands to really crack the notion that you can put monsters on t-shirts and kids will buy them to shock their parents. Yeah. They must have made an absolute fortune and the metal merchandise market is still got to be one of the most profitable merchandise markets in the world like you can be a fairly successful metal band and sell a lot of merch and Mm -hmm. a pop band sell next to no merch yeah i think that's that's a a lot of pop bands use uh metal imagery now yeah you know because why not maiden fucking nailed their artwork really yeah that's the thing about like Iron Maiden like, are where are still are I guess the complete package of a band like they've got they had it all figured out from the word go basically yeah marketing sound almost, yeah everything it was just all there and of course we better finish this album Fan of the Opera one of the best songs ever written Yeah, one of the best male songs ever run by anybody. Just fucking unbelievable. Jesus Christ. It's got three of the best guitar solos of all time in it. Just in yeah. the one song. Oh, fuck. I can... It's definitely got three guitar solos. It's, uh, oh, it's just fucking unreal. Transylvania instrumental is that their only banger? Is it their only instrumental? Only no, instrumental it, song? Is it whatever. not? I, I thought it was is. their only one, yeah. I think it is. I'm pretty think. sure there's a couple on final there's one on Final Frontier, I think. I'm pretty sure there is. Oh maybe. You're you're I mean, you're gonna get hung out to dry if that's wrong. I don't know. I'm I'm pretty but, sure there's, there's more than, I'm pretty sure there's one more than one get, instrumental. Don't get your phone out, that's cheating. And then Strange World. There's another one in Killers, the first one in Killers I'm, I'm, tell, I'm telling the listeners, Mark's cheating, folks. I'm totally cheating, I'm checking that out. I need to know. Uh what comes after Strange World doesn't even have a riff oh. it's just fucking quiet oh, it's I great they're song. like oh, I can't look at you you just fuck Iron Maiden itself is a fucking really, good song and, well. yeah Charlotte Harlot's a great song even yeah. though it's ridiculous and then Iron Maiden, Iron Maiden Harmonies they Banger they played every single yeah Eyes of Mars the first song in Kills instrumental as well I knew that but is that not just an intro really no actually that's actually a song a song um, yeah. I suppose um yeah, Iron Maiden is a, they've played it at every single uh, concert since their inception. Is that right? That's fine. Yeah, and it's the track where they bring out their big stupid fucking puppet. Aye. Yeah. It depends on the show. Great fun. No, it's the track that introduces Eddie to the stage in one form or another, yeah. Uh, anyway, when you mention Iron Maiden to most people, because, you know, they're a fairly big band, this is not the record they think of. It's it, not, you're right. I, it, and to me, it's... that That's true. Their best. Well, it's, it's that's, either that's their best not, or no, it's their second that, best. That's not entirely true. I think the allegation is that you're coming at this from, like, a third-generation, pardon the phrase, semi-hipster metal perspective, and that the true metal, and I mean 
the true metal people are like the first two our maiden albums are definitive metal and are in no way underrated because they are revered on a, on a plane of godliness that we can barely understand for us they are retro as fuck but for people who have actually been following metal for their whole lives the, the first two our maiden albums are in no way uh uh, kept any kind of kept secret they are fucking something that's just it didn't sell nearly as many as the uh, third fourth and fifth records it doesn't sound what you think of as the Iron Maiden sound I think this is the really good Iron Maiden record that gets talked about at least I think I'm kind of with Dave on this one I think those these two records are overshadowed just by the presence of Bruce Dickinson and all the other amazing 80s records they did like you know I could have talked about maybe Peace of Mind because it's sandwiched in between Power Slave and uh, Number of the Beast, but it's a Bruce Dickinson one, and it's got fucking great tracks, also, and it sold it, a lot. It's spelled P-I-E-C-E. Yeah. And it just makes me think of Sandwich. sandwich. Mm-hmm. If you're from Scotland, a piece is a sandwich, and yeah. peace of mind, I'm just like, I'm looking at it, it's like, all right, the Sandwich album. Speaking, like, one question I wanted to ask you then, as a, as a made fan, yeah. is... Um, yeah, it can't, it's really difficult. I think it would be really difficult to argue the fact that the current incarnation of Iron Maiden has been around for 19 years as the best live band they have ever been. Yeah, 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 no doubt. It's just staggeringly good and so fucking loud. They're one of the loudest bands I've ever seen live because the three guitars just dimed. They've scary, fucking, man. Yeah, they've nailed it. They know yeah. what they're doing now. Yeah. And the um, fact that they don't utilise the third guitar for just chucking I, yeah. is sad. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> He's not allowed to just uh, pretend to play it with his teeth. Yeah. Either. And as much of a dick as Paul Diano was, as. Uh, I, is, I really like the vocals on this record. And when I first heard Iron Maiden with Bruce, which would have been a, a good few years after I'd heard this record, it took me a while to get used to his theatrics. I really liked the sort of straightforward gruffness of Paul. And to me, this is Iron Maiden for me, uh, even though it's not what Iron Maiden are to most people. That's, that's a probably a quite a rare opinion, especially in, in our generation of people. Mm-hmm. Most people think Bruce... And rightly so, because he's yeah, exactly. He's so, been there yeah. forever, and he's well, defined our sound. I, for one, I'm really glad we managed to spend this much time talking about Iron Maiden. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, thanks, guys. <laughs> I'm glad we could do this. So I don't think it should go in uh, for any number of reasons, but I think we established. You it. don't think Iron Maiden should be in at all? No. Okay. Fair. Fair. I don't think it should go in because uh, it's a tough one, man. It, I think yeah, this is a, a, when we're talking about unsung Iron Maiden records, and like Chris says, it's arguable if there even is such a thing um, I say Kells is better because the production's better and the vocals are better and it's got Rathschild on it which okay maybe not as good as, as uh, the Phantom of the Opera it's just um, I think it's one of the best songs they've ever written um, Unsung Alan Main record that gets overlooked for me is probably Seventh Son but it's sold so many millions of records and it's just you know it's, it had some huge singles on it as well so I'm going to have to say no for this one that's fine. Dave, we'll, uh, it's you and the public. We'll just let the public decide. <laughs> Let's see what happens. I don't mind. Could drag your average down though. That's cool. Oh, Mark, what's next? Next is A Healthy Distrust by Sage Francis. Cool. Back to some old tap pop. Great. Chris My God. With that. <laughs> yeah. More more joy for Chris. <laughs> Last tap pop record we did, you loved, so you know. That's true. And you even played one of the songs at our club night. Yeah, our club night went remarkably well. Yeah. I actually got some news for you. We might have another one coming up as well. Okay, cool. Yeah, but more info when we have it. Okay, cool. Uh, well, thank you very much to everybody who listens. Please go vote on our Facebook page. Once again, if you've given us ratings, reviews, if you've donated us money, thank you very much. We're recording with our own gear, which is fucking brilliant. Go team. <laughs> uh, everything should hopefully sound better, Christopher. No promises. <laughs> yeah, 
One thing we'd ask of you though is if you could just we, we know how many listeners we get every week, right? And it's roughly the same number. Even if just one of you told like one person, that would do so much for a listener numbers, like so much. So yeah. yeah. If you could just tell a pal, recommend this episodes, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Any episode that would totally fine, but that'd be awesome. We would really appreciate that. Um or just direct them to our website because they're all there. Yeah, please rifle back through the back catalogue and if there's something you think will click with someone, be great if you just fire it to them. That's as, that's as good as anything, I think. Yep. So thank you very much, guys. No worries. Bye. <laughs>